Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Pup Pup and Away podcast. My name is Stephanie Garza. I am a certified dog trainer and canine behaviorist in San Antonio, Texas, and the proud owner of Pup Pup and Away, where we specialize in pet care with a behavioral edge. And here's my buddy, Maggie. Hello, I'm Maggie, and I... Oh, I don't know. I I like tacos. <laughs> and she likes tacos. Um, today's topic of conversation is fearful dog readings. Um, so the majority of this is for people who have dogs who are experiencing some sort of maybe fear aggression or fear shutdown when meeting new people. Um, so we're going to discuss what fear might look like in those situations, um, what you should do about it, how to recognize it, and then just take it from there. Okay, so how do you know if you have a fearful dog um, when meeting a person? There's a variety of different ways to kind of tell if your dog is slinking backwards and being avoidant of the dog. That's one thing. If of you're a person? of a person, okay. sorry, of a person, not of a dog. You're absolutely right. Thank you. Of a of a person. Um, that's one way. Um, but the other way is a complete fear aggression. If your dog's barking, lunging, snapping, biting at a person um, upon meeting them, that is another way to tell that your dog is fearful. The majority of aggression cases I find and I work with um, are all based out of fear. So one one thing that I often get is my dog is biting and snapping at people out of nowhere or my dog has never had a problem meeting new people until X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think that there's a variety of different reasons why our dogs start to have these issues. And I think one of them is just, you know, as they grow up, they start to have maybe more experiences that end up being a little bit negative. Um, but I think the biggest thing is your dog probably was always uneasy or uncomfortable with meeting people. But because they were younger, smaller, cuter, and because we often want to have our puppies socialized to so many people, um, we kind of force our dogs to go through the motions, which then builds up frustration and anticipation of scary things to come. So Maggie, you have a puppy named Quinn. I sure do. And she has experienced some fearful tendencies, mainly more to dogs, right? Yeah. But also to people a little bit too? When I very first got her, it was towards both. Okay. But maybe even more towards people than dogs. Okay. And then she learned that people are cool. She sees people all the time. People love her. People have never wronged her. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it kind of morphed into more towards dogs. And at first she, like, kind of played too rough with dogs, just out of the box. She came out kind of growly and she would neck bite and shake and stuff even though she's you know a four pound <laughs> I was like, Please thing. clarify that because she's not she, she would like grab them by the collars and just shake their their fuzz you know <laughs> um and then I don't know exactly what happened but she became very fearful instead of like over over playful and mm-hmm. kind of she was always a weird like growly playing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of how she is. And then you pointed out, she is eight weeks old. I don't know why she's growling at this age. And I was like, yeah. oh, well, me neither then. <laughs> um, but yeah, since then she's turned into a much more timid, 
hiding behind chairs, hiding, trying to run away from dogs, Mm -hmm. and has opened up to people. I've definitely, this is off topic, but I've definitely seen her flip-flop through a couple of different temperaments, whether it's towards people or to dogs, a few times since I've known her. Yeah, she's weird. She's kind of weird. She's very impressionable. Yeah, and then I like once she finds a dog that she decides she's friends with, mm-hmm. she's very excited to see that dog and again mm-hmm. wants to play sometimes too rough. Mm-hmm. But then any other dog she's just absolutely terrified of. Mm-hmm. We need to get her and Rishi around together because they were starting to build a relationship and I would like for them to be best friends. Okay. I'm sorry, uh, Quinn's best friend has already been chosen. Uh, is that Bishop? Baby Bishop. Baby Bishop. Shout out to Baby Bishop. My dad should listen to the podcast, but if you ever listen to it, Baby Bishop. Uh, okay, so let's talk about tips for greeting people at home. Um, and actually, we're going to toss in uh, treats, uh, treats, tips to meet people outside of the home. Um, but a couple of things that I always do, if I'm ever experiencing a dog who is nervous, um, one of the first things I will start to do is create a greeting protocol. And there's a couple basic key things that I have in the greeting protocol. The first one is get rid of any triggers that happened before the greeting. Doorbells knocking your ring doorbell going off different things like that if your dog is already triggered before they even see the person we have to get rid of those triggers that heightened the dog's anxiety of the situation before they even meet the person so you should tell people have everyone call or text you when they get there second thing that i like to do is instead of the person walking into the house i like for the person to be equipped with treats so you will set aside some treats in a baggie on the front step or whatever and then for your dog to meet them outside not at the front door but like at the end of the driveway or something like that so when they text you you can say hey uh grab the bag of treats that are on the front porch and i'll meet you at the bottom of the driveway or on the sidewalk or close to the street whatever you need to do Um, And by that point, the person, you and your dog will walk out, the person standing on the bottom of the driveway, and you could tell the person start tossing treats at my dog. And then hopefully if things, and of course, I'm just generalizing a bunch of stuff here. Um, If things go pretty well from that, because there's treats involved, and if your dog is food motivated, we're creating a positive association with with your dog meeting this person. You guys go for a short walk, and then you guys walk in together. Um, I think this is helpful for a variety of reasons. One, like I said, you're using food or something that your dog loves to build a positive association. But two, I think the biggest thing is since your dog is not walking in, sorry, since the person is not walking in on your dog, you're getting rid of the confined space of scary spiders approaching me. Instead, we're getting, I'm approaching the scary spider. So it kind of gives your dog maybe a feeling of having an advantage in that situation I also think that doing things outside because there's more distractions, it allows your dog to be distracted by other things besides the scary spider, meaning your guest, and it allows your dog a little bit of freedom to think that the scary spider might also be distracted by other things so that they, your dog, is not the focal point of the scary spider's attention. Um, When we put these greeting protocols into place, while they're not perfect, it definitely sets up the dog meeting this new person to be on a better track. Outside is also just like a lot more neutral. I know my dog protects my house and then he also specifically protects my room and then within the room he protects my bed Mm. because that is his most comfortable spot. He sleeps there every Mm -hmm. night. Um, So if I bring him outside, like the farther away from his house we get, Mm -hmm. the 
well, I would say the more likely he is to like a person, but he's also just kind of fucky and uh, <laughs> doesn't like people. We talked all about Quinn not liking people. We didn't even go into my monster. It's the quirks. Um, yeah, I think I think you bring up an interesting thing because at that at that point we kind of get more into the topic of is it a resource guarding thing, is it a territoriality thing? Because a lot of the times when people are explaining any of these things to me, they automatically automatically think my dog is like guarding their territory. And that might be the case because I think that the few places that you've mentioned are places where Corky feels extra comfortable, right? Your bed is pretty, is a spot of comfort for him, right? Um, And I think that why it might not be, I think it's a combination of things like I'm fearful and that's my only safe space, so please leave it alone, which is also a resource guarding thing which might not be from the mentality of this is mine, leave it alone. But instead of like, this is my safe space, please back off. Yeah. He's also just a dick. A little bit. He, I, I would say like maybe for other people, neutrality is, you know, a good idea and all, but he, he'll dislike somebody no matter where Even we are. Like, well, yeah. I, it's I, just I, more likely to go badly. Yes. The closer we get to his bed. I think. Or whatever. I, I totally understand that. And I think that setting up these protocols, once again, they're not ever the recipe for, um, you know, okay, they're like, that's it. I'm, I'm done. And it's fixed. But instead, it's it's to create the neutrality and not have the negative things associated with that. Because then we still have to talk about when the stranger is in your house, like how long can your dog deal with that? What happens when the person gets off of the couch and walks to the bathroom? Um, all of those things change because now Scary Spider has become unpredictable. Um, but I think just setting things off on the right foot, just by having your dog meet that person outside versus them walking into your dog's spaces, is just a good way to kind of set things up to have a better rate of success. Um, I also think that when the person, whether they're, in, whether you're meeting them inside the home, whether you're meeting them outside of the home, whether they've been interacting with your dog for a few minutes, one of the biggest things that I have people do is instruct your guests to toss treats at your dog or even further away from the dog. So we don't want to use treats as coercion in this moment. If you have a very food motivated dog, they will probably push through a lot of different feelings to get to the source of food, even if it's I have to push through severe fear, right? Um, most dogs are probably shut down and not one food anyways, but some dogs are willing to push through that. I know Sally and Rishi probably would because my dogs are hungry hippos. Um, but um, we don't want to use food as a coercion. We don't want to breadcrumb the dog closer to the scary thing. We don't want to Hansel and Gretel them um, to lure them into the scary situation. So when I'm having, I'm telling owners to instruct their guests to toss treats, I'm either telling them to toss treats at the dog's feet or to actually toss treats over and past the dog. So that way the dog sees the treats fly over their head. They turn around, they go grab the cookie and then they turn back around and they might move closer to the scary spider once again, the guests, out of their own volition and not using it as like, oh, I have to get close. I really want that cookie. Okay, I'll go ahead and do it. And then they get themselves trapped into a situation where they regret having made that decision. Um, have you ever tried that treating mechanism, like treating throwing treats past the dog for any of your dogs? I have not. I just learned about that a couple weeks ago from you. Oh, huh, when you were in puppy class? 
or some other? No, it was before that. I don't know. I think we were in your office and you mentioned it. I don't know why we were talking about it. Yeah. Um, but I I haven't tried it since then. But I've I've thought about it a handful of times, like uh, when I'm doing my puppy social class or mm-hmm. I don't know, just in everyday life. Because you deal with a lot of dogs that are nervous. Yeah. Um, you talked about not entering the dog's house, so meeting them outside. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about somebody like? coming in, sitting down, and then the dog enters the room. Like, you put the yeah. dog in a bedroom, mm-hmm. they come in, sit down on the couch, then you bring your dog in. I think that is better than your dog being right there at the doorway when your person is walking in. Um, but I also think we're lacking a little bit of that neutrality there. Because, once again, I think safe spots are important for you to establish for your dog. And safe spots are going to be where your dog typically will maybe be a little bit more defensive around. Um, I usually find that the more comfortable a dog is, the more that they are willing to express their fear. Okay. Um, Do you think if you do the dog enters the room method, um, the dog is more likely to react when the person like gets up to go to the bathroom than if they had met them outside? Like, do you think there's a better relationship established by meeting them outside and walking around the block? That's a good question. I don't, I think that you might have a little bit of a, no, I, yeah. I I think that either way, when you guys walk in together versus the person is sitting down already when the dog walks into the room, either way, I think that the person standing up and walking around creates more unpredictability to the person and you're going to spiral into the spooky barking all over again regardless of where you met them. Um, I think maybe my point maybe also would be a lot of dogs love to go on the walk. So maybe that's two points of reinforcement or two two points of positive association. Number one, you're going for the walk. Number two, you're getting treats from this person or at least they're tossing treats at you. Um, but I also think that if your dog is extremely reactive to people or they don't like the walk to begin with, then maybe exactly what you said might be a better option. Okay. Cool. Look at you. Look, I have important comments and questions. So helpful. <laughs> so helpful. This is the first episode. Write it down in the books. <laughs> okay. So tips for meeting people outside of the home. Um, I think a lot of this is when we're outside of the home, we start to feel Maybe some shame or some embarrassment when our dogs are acting up in this way. Oh, when they bite the hell out of that guy at school and then he comes back to me a couple minutes later and is like, does your dog have rabies shots? And I'm like, dude. Yeah, he does. We'll unpack that a little bit later. No way. Um, I think my biggest points for this is every meeting of a person should either be neutral or positive. If your dog is having a hard time, meeting people, I ask that you advocate for your dog and just say, I'm so sorry, we're not accepting pets today. Um, Don't worry about offending the other person. I love to say and tell my clients, my dog is not here for anyone's entertainment, right? My dog is my own dog. It's their, their own living being. They are not here to entertain that kid across the street or I don't care if I hurt anybody's feelings when I ask them I'm so sorry we're not taking any pets today and I completely walk away um everyone loves looking at my dogs on the street because they're to the untrained eye 
a miniature version of like one's a miniature version of the other like everyone's always asking me like oh is this the baby and the mama and I'm like no man that's a boy first of all and second of all they're not related whatsoever um but to the entrant eye they look pretty similar um so a lot of people will stop to us or stop stop us and talk to us and ask to pet them usually I tell them nope I'm so sorry we're not taking any pets and we just keep on walking and sometimes I see those people again and sometimes I don't See, that conversation in my world goes, uh, if they see Corky and they want to pet him, Corky goes, rah, 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 and I go, yeah, he's not super friendly. <laughs> um, or if he's not doing that, I look him up and down and I go, um, yeah, I think he won't bite you. And then I'll either let them or I'll go, mm, you'd be taking a risk there. And then sometimes they still try to pet him and then he bites them. Uh, and then with Quinn... They say, oh my God, what a cute puppy. Can I hold her? And I go, sure. And I throw them, throw her in their arms, whether she likes it or not. Well, I, in my opinion, I've never seen Quinn be afraid of a person. You mentioned that she was fearful of people at yeah, some point. She's, she's, she's been uncertain of people. Okay. Like, and not super sure she wants to be held by somebody. Yeah. She looks back at me and she's like, is this, is, is this okay? I don't, uh, I don't know. But she's never been like shitting herself nervous yeah. or quaking in her boots or um aggressive at yeah all. she's just been like mm, mom i don't know yeah and so you know in the perfect world i would not put her in those situations but i'm like yeah she's cute you should hold her i think also that she's a puppy and i mean not that every puppy like if you have a puppy it doesn't mean you just throw your puppy in people's arms um but i think i would like to take this opportunity to Give you guys a definition of what flooding is. Um, do you know what flooding is? Uh, when the water comes really high and it doesn't drain well. <laughs> That's the Titanic. And causes issues to your house. Okay, so. Or car. Flooding. Or boat. <laughs> flooding is one way to deal with fear. Um, let me, let me, I think it probably oh, is. is this when you, um, nope, that's not right. When you. When your dog is afraid of something, so you give it to them a bunch until they're, like, used to it? That's desensitization. No, but there's there's something else. Like, okay, yeah. When you have a fear of cockroaches yep. and you dump a thousand cockroaches yep. on you? Yep, that's flooding. Okay, yeah. Okay, so here's my example. Um, as stupid as it is, I'm afraid of moths. So if I were to walk into a room with a moth in it and I have a fear reaction and your thought process is, let me, because we know that moths are not harmful and it's a stupid irrational fear that i have unless they fly down your throat <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Okay. and suffocate you or something nope that's exactly that's exactly why i hate moths because <laughs> I've had them fly into my ear. I've had them fly up my skirt. I don't want to relive this in front of well, me. just the horny the <laughs> horny moths. Oh. I'm getting real hot. I gotta take my sweater off. <laughs> okay. Whew. Okay. So if I walk into a room and it has one moth, and because moths usually are an, an uh, unrealistic fear, because moths are for the most yeah. part harmless, right? Super chill. So you you your thought process is let me show Stephanie so many moths and let her see and recognize that she will come out of this unharmed, so that way when she experienced just a single moth after this experience, it should be better. Right, so that's flooding. You're you're exposing your dog to an extreme amount of the stimulus of the trigger, in the hopes that they create a situation where, okay, you're right. A 
one moth is better than a million moths and I'm okay with this because I lived through the million moths so I can live through this one. The problem with that is because there is nothing to offset the big panic attack that I'm going to feel in that moment is now when I see one moth, I might anticipate that there's going to be a million that follow afterwards or just the anticipation of a triggered emotion of what I felt after seeing the one moth that was followed by the million moths. Okay, so that's flooding. Or you get like, this is probably not politically correct, but like PTSD from... Yeah, exactly. A million moths. Yeah, exactly. You start to feel the same things, right? And that's, yeah, I, th- I think that would be correct, right? Because um, a veteran may know that they're not on the war field, um, but they hear one thing that sounds similar to what they experienced at war, and thus you're flooded back with all the emotions and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and so flooding can actually heighten your fear versus help you feel better. Anyways, we're, we're kind of getting off topic, which is exactly why once again, you're here, but when we're going through to get us off topic (laughs) and, and to just, you know, make, make other tangents and organic conversation. Um, I make you interesting. You make me interesting. You make me less, less boring and, uh, following the protocols of the guidelines. But when we are in a situation where we're meeting people, I think that accidental unintentional flooding is what has led our dogs to fear the inevitable I'm going to be touched by that stranger right because we're thinking like yeah okay this isn't a big deal and yeah okay my dog's cool and you're cool while we're missing the signs of I am slightly uncomfortable I am slightly nervous because I have had multiple people who And I've walked into multiple homes where I'm seeing a dog having a negative reaction to my presence being there. And their reaction is, oh, let me just pick them and put them in your arms. They'll be fine after that. And then I was like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, let's have them cope and I'll take a step back and I'll do all my my protocols or whatever. Um, I think that accidentally putting our puppies through something like that, because that's what we think socialization is sometimes, leads us into their later months or later years of these now I'm having these fear reactions, quote unquote, out of nowhere. Does adding treats to flooding make it desensitization? I think it would depend on the situation. When I have, I think, okay, one one good example, though it was not flooding, I was trying to desensitize Sully to the clicker because that asshole, stupid, is afraid of the clicker. <laughs> um, and I was like, when I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, let me click and give him steak. Let me click, give him steak. So hopefully this repairs his relationship with the clicker. Instead, it made a negative association to the steak. Okay. And and that wasn't even a flooding situation. Right. Um, I think that it's, I think you need, I think flooding in general is not good. I think if you were to have a more watered down version of okay, the yeah. trigger. That's what I was and then build back up. to our back to our I don't know don't break your puppy right podcast or whatever where we're talking about how to do like sound stuff instead yep. of flooding them with sound yes you start watered down yes always okay. build up as your puppy shows success don't start too big and wish that you would have started smaller I really want to relate this back to the moths. I'm going to be like, if you were in a room with a million moths and it gave you a bowl of ice cream, that I don't, wouldn't work as well as, how, how would it make you not afraid of moths? 
give you one moth and a scoop of ice cream and then another moth and a scoop of ice cream because that's watered down and with treats. I'm, oh my God, this, I wasn't expecting this to turn to me. Uh, I'm getting really hot. Um, my, that's a great question. My experiences with moths because they are numerous and because in my opinion, they were intense. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, okay. Let's, let's break this down. If you are not interested in hearing the story, maybe you're going to fast forward about five minutes or so. I'm going to give you the two reasons why I'm afraid of moths. Okay. Okay. Maybe this will help our listeners understand what fear is. And... Understand a little bit more about you. <laughs> I'm learning so much. Have I never told you these stories? I don't think so. Okay. My first story. I was in seventh grade. I was a chubby, frizzy-haired, four-eyed Mexican girl. I don't believe almost any of that. I know that you don't because I am a prize catch. (laughs) (laughs) Really are though. (laughs) Um, I went through an ugly duckling phase. I was not cute. I was chubby. I was. I was not. You're still in that phase. (laughs) (laughs) When does that end? You said seventh grade. Seventh grade to what? Three. We just had a reversion of that. This wasn't a continuation. Okay, keep going. Okay, so here I am. I have crushes. No man, no boy is interested in me, right? Okay, so one day for a religion class, because I, I go to Catholic school, we decide to do this exercise outside in this courtyard area. And so it's like a grassy patch area. There's a big oak trees there's lots of different things the assignment was for the entire class to stand in a circle and we had like a big ass ball of yarn you're supposed to throw it to someone they catch it they hold on to the yarn and then they pass it on to someone else you just get like this intricate like web i don't know what the purpose of yeah, this was like what religious story does this relate to zero idea because the only thing that i remember is while we're doing that where it's like it's a nice day it's shady the wind's blowing um, also part of, for those of you who never went to Catholic school, you have an assigned uniform. Um, so a girl's uniform is you have your button up blouse, you have your tie, you, and ha- you have a skirt, um, with, you know, your long knee high stockings and whatever. Do you have a blazer? No blazer. We did not do blazers. Oh. Um, so while we're doing this, uh, a big wind kicks in and the trees start moving and they start swaying and I remember seeing something from the corner of my eye fall from the tree. But this is Texas. There's big moss balls everywhere. So those things fall all the time, right? No biggie. And all of a sudden, I feel a tickle in my pants. <laughs> and at first, I just like, like I just kind of like squirmed and like kind of flapped my skirt just a little bit. And it got bigger. And it got more intense. And... Two seconds later, I am running around this field, flapping my skirt up above my head, and I look down, and there is a fucking moth as... Okay, maybe my imagination is getting the best of me at this point, but it's literally as big as my hand, flying in between my legs, and how mortifying is that? So was I physically injured? Absolutely not. But the sensation was super duper weird, and also, I look like a big fucking idiot, on top of me being not very cute. And everybody sees your panties. We wear shorts underneath our stuff. So nothing was too revealing. But 
super embarrassing. Okay, so fast forward. Uh, that was seventh grade. Fast forward to senior year of high school. So five years later. Um, that was such fast math. <laughs> I mean, five seven years five. Senior, senior equals 12. 12 minus seven, five. All right. I just went for high school's four years, and I had one more year of junior high. Anyways. Oh, my gosh. So I am a senior in high school. And it was Spirit Week. My best friend and I had just gotten done with a football, a, college, a high school football game at, at high school. And we were going to pick up a friend. It was Matt. <laughs> we went to go pick up Matt. So Steph, my best friend, is driving. Yes, my name is also Steph. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat. And we're driving down. We're almost to his house. We're like, we're off, we're off of the highway, luckily, by this point. Um, and I'm cute at this point. <laughs> I'm a little bit cuter now. And, uh, but my hair is down the way it is now. And oh, all, yeah, that'll help the podcast. Yeah, just so people. you can, everyone can see. Um, all of a sudden I felt like a flicker in my ear, a flutter. And I like start batting at my, at my ear, like what the fuck is that? And I don't think anything of it because who the fuck would think anything of it? And it starts getting more intense. And so by this point, like we're pretty much on, almost on the street that we are picking up our friend at. And it gets so bad that it's like flapping on my ear. It's stuck in my hair, in between my ear and my hair. And so I cup it with my hand. And I'm, I'm and now I'm yelling at my friends like, Steph, stop the car, stop the car. What is on my ear? What is on my ear? And so my hand is cupped on my hand and she looks at me and it's nighttime. And she looks at me and she's like, dude, there's nothing there. And I'm like, okay, maybe just like my hair is like flapping. The, the windows were up, so I don't know, whatever. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I stopped for a second and then there it goes all over again. So I do, I freak out all over again. I cover my ear. This time we were parked in front of his house and she looks and she's like, there's a huge moth. Like you're holding a huge moth on your ear. And so by that point, thank God the car was stopped because I would not, <laughs> My bad. My alarm went off. Okay. So we're in the middle of this cul-de-sac. My hand is cupped to my ear. Steph has just told me I am holding a big moth to my ear. Luckily, the car is stopped because I probably would have jumped out regardless. But I jump out of the car, running around, flicking my hair, trying to get this big-ass moth off of my ear. So that's my story. Once again, I was unharmed in both situations. You've met some really weird moths. Because, like... Moths I meet do not, like, stick around me. They don't try to fly up my cooter. <laughs> they don't try to buzz into my ear. Like, they'll slap me, and then they'll go, like, whoop, and then they'll fly off to the light. I think I've just been unfortunate that they've been caught up my hair, up my skirt, so they're, like, flapping around because those assholes don't know where they're going. Yeah, no, they're stupid. Anyways, so your question is how do I get over my fear of moths at this point, oh, yeah. right? Um, I honestly could not guide you to help me with that problem. I think human brains are just different than dog brains. So the same training doesn't work because we're more complicated. Are we? I mean, because we're talking about dogs, we're talking about... Uh, whether or not they have a memory is still questionable because I have multiple anecdotes of my dog specifically having a memory, but more about triggers of emotion, right? Because I see one moth, it's across the room. Oh my I God, you're just like Corky. Corky has this thing about flies. 
So does Sully. <laughs> Sully has a thing about flies too. <laughs> Things that buzz. Yeah, in his house specifically. If if they're outside, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he doesn't care. If mm-hmm. they're in his house, he has a full blown panic attack. Yeah, that's that's Sully. Wow. But I mean, if I were to see a moth across the room right now, I wouldn't have a full blown panic attack. I don't think. I think that the probability of that thing flying up my skirt or up my hair is high. <laughs> but I'm oh, gonna in your head. Yeah, right. I don't think okay. I don't think it's a high probability. Right. Right. Okay. But I'm gonna fucking keep my eye on that fucker. Yeah, and I think that's what makes our brains different than dog brains because Corky hears a buzz. And it's like, fuck, I'm dead. And us, like, even though it's an irrational fear, we can we can pinpoint that it's irrational and say, all right, well, I'm going to keep an eye on that because I don't think it'll do something. But, like, just know I'm afraid of that. Okay, sure. So going based off, off of that point, even I cannot tell you how you can get me over the fear of a moth, though I know it's irrational and though I know the probability of me seeing one from across the room, I'm probably going to be okay because I have lived through a hundred percent of my moth attacks right but for a dog who generalizes their fear very easily if i can't even tell you how i'm going to get over the fear how do we expect to toss our training things onto a dog okay so like it's it might be equally equally or similarly difficult to train humans and dogs out of their fears Mm -hmm. but the way that humans and dogs approach their fears and think about their fears and reason with their fears. That might be different. different. Yeah. Okay. I think so. But I think as a human, I have more of a realization that I'm being an idiot. Yeah. But I still couldn't tell you. And I still think the probability of me getting over that fear is pretty high. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. So meeting people outside the house, toss treats away from a dog at the, at the feet, the closest Oh. Don't force your dog into a situation. Is that where this conversation started? Yep. <laughs> All right. Don't ta- don't force your dog into a situation. Um, and I also like to tell people um, consider buying a vest, a bandana, or a leash slip cover that says something like "In training, give me space. Please don't touch. Ignore me." Different things like that. If you don't feel like you could be vocally advocating for your dog in those moments, maybe you have some sort of thing for your dog to wear to kind of advocate for you okay let me tell you about my three visit rule which a lot of people when I'm talking to a client are pretty surprised when I tell them this so me as a person coming into a fearful dog's house I know all the things to do right Um, but I do not attempt to touch that dog usually until the third visit that I'm seeing them so the first time I'm interacting with this dog I am building trust. I am doing all the right things to let this dog be comfortable with being curious, sniffing me, being curious, investigating who I am. Maybe I'm tossing treats at them, trying to create more of a positive association, more than a neutral or a negative association with me. And I always want to leave the dog wanting more for me, right? So the first visit, I am building trust. The second visit, I'm validating that trust. I want that dog to think more along the lines, and of course I'm anthropomorphizing, so I'm giving human thoughts to a dog because who the hell knows what they're thinking. I want this dog to think, oh, I remember you from last time. You gave me treats. That was pretty cool. You didn't force yourself on me. That was also pretty cool. Are you going to be cool this time? So once again, 
I'm doing all the same things. I'm tossing treats. I'm not reaching for the dog. I'm not, hey, buddy, how are you? Right when I walk in, I am still validating that trust, most likely not touching that dog, and I leave. The third time I come in, this dog is most likely realizing, hey, you're the treat lady. You've never made me feel uncomfortable. You have only had positive experiences with me. Maybe I'm starting to sniff you a little bit more. Um, and now maybe I might be cashing in on that trust. So the first time that you see a dog sniffing a person, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, um, your, your dog might have some interesting body language. Maybe they're outreaching their neck. They're keeping their front feet for, backwards, or they're reaching forward to sniff a person. That is your dog being curious enough to get their nose close enough to get some information, but keeping their important parts, the rest of the body, far enough away because as soon as a scary spider does something scary, I'm booking it and I'm out of here, right? So now by this third time that I'm meeting this dog, they're walking up to me more comfortably. Maybe they're initiating with me. Maybe they're putting their head in my hand. Maybe they're walking all four of their feet close to me and not having this weird outstretched. And at that point, if I do decide to start touching, which by the third visit I usually do. I am touching underneath the chin or on the chest. I'm never reaching over the head. Uh, you Okay, you started this with usually. Is this usually with every client ever or is this just with like nervous clients? Just with nervous clients. Okay, so like a puppy, a friendly puppy that you're right. just there to do puppy manners. Right. You don't have this rule. The reason why I say usually is because it's always my anticipation is to have that three visit rule. But sometimes by the time I'm walking out on the dog, the second visit, I'm usually, I might, if I see the right things, I'll, I might cash in on that trust and start touching them on the second visit. Still with nervous dogs. Like a, a yeah, super I'll, excited puppy that's happy to see you. That super has excited no puppy. Issues. I will touch them right away. Okay. They're jumping into my lap. We're having a good time. You're licking my face. I'm licking your face. <laughs> We're doing okay. all the good things. Uh, yes, this is only for dogs who I, I know I'm walking into a nervous situation. Gotcha. And that's because our receptionists do a really good job of catching some notes and, and why we're there. Oh, shout out to our receptionist. Shout out. Monica. Sparrow. Sparrow. Uh, but yeah, my three my three visit rule. People are usually like, oh, three visits, that's a lot. And I'm like, yeah, but they're short. They're quick. And it's all about consistency. And starting off with a clean slate and nothing but building upon a clean slate. I'm the clean slate. Cool. Okay. Okay. Next one. Sniffing is not an invitation to touch. So kind of going back to my three visit rule, right? If you're seeing that your dog is getting curious enough to sniff a person, I want you to watch their body language. If they are outreached, their neck is outreached as far as possible. They are keeping their front feet back and hovered. So they're having this weird like lean forward situation. Maybe they're closer to the ground so they can reach more forward. That is your dog being curious enough to gather some information by sniffing this person, but not comfortable enough to initiate an interaction with this person. So when you're seeing your dog sniffing a person with this body language, it's really important for you to say, I know my dog is sniffing you, but do not reach out for them just yet. And having those words with that person and maybe even setting that up before they come over for that second visit or whatever it is. Um, curiosity is really important for us to have. And one of the only 
basis of a good prognosis, right? Because if your dog's curious, that means that they're interested in the person instead of just like, nope, I'm avoiding, I'm hiding in the corner, I am not interacting with this person whatsoever. So curiosity is good, but curiosity also is what gets us into the situation where your dogs have this moment of, I'm gonna sniff, I'm gonna get close, but holy shit, I got you close, let me bark. And a lot of that is pretty much like kind of one of those situations where, well, my dog goes up to sniff and then all of a sudden they have a bad reaction to them. If you look at their body language, it's, it's an uncomfortable sniff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing to add. Um, I thought about turtles because turtles have long necks and they'll stick their neck out. Okay. And I also thought um, if, if you imagine like making a sudden movement. Mm-hmm while a dog is sniffing like this and you expect them to take a huge jump back or mm-hmm. bark, like, it's probably a nervous sniff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just gathering the info to help me on my journey to feel better. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, every experience has to be a good experience to build on confidence. And I think this is where my clients, just as people kind of lose lose a little bit of patience with their dogs um, because when you're dealing with a tricky situation like fear, it's really easy to break any sort of trust and we all experience that in a variety of different forms, oh, right? you sure bet your bottom I do. <laughs> it's really easy to break trust, but it's really hard to build trust. Yeah. Especially after it's been broken. Yeah. And your dog might not think like, oh, well, Susan down the street, she's a bitch, so I just don't like her, right? It's just any interaction with a new person has this mentality of this could go wrong, this could go bad. So making sure that every experience that your dog has is at least neutral, um, but of course, even better if it's a positive one and it doesn't end with the impending doom of, well, that started off nicely, but that man still touched me. That sounded bad. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we want to end everything on a at least neutral circumstance. I'm learning so much. I've never been afraid of that. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Every ex- oh my God. Shut up. Every experience has to be a good experience, Maggie. Okay. Next one. Don't- or else you might fear moths for life. Or else you might fear moths for life, man. No- yeah, that one... I'm a 32-year-old woman who has a fear of moths. I'm a 25-year-old woman that has a moth tattooed on her leg. I know! When you got that, I was like, <gasps> But then you told me the story of it, and I'm like, that's a good story. Yes. So, I mean, it's not a good story. I hate that happened, <laughs> but it's it's a good sentimental. We won't get into that. Okay. Um, next point. Don't put your dogs into situations that make your dog second-guess their confidence. So while you're going through this process, your dog might start to think, huh, okay, people seem to be okay. People seem to be good. I get lots of treats. This, these are all good experiences. But they're still testy. <laughs> We really should add video to this. <laughs> uh, if you guys could know what just happened, I looked up and Maggie has her wine bottle cap on her eyeball, like <laughs> holding it with her eyelids. And it was slightly terrifying. Okay. Um, any experience should be a good one. So when your dog is having these moments of like, okay, I'm having better experiences. So now I'm a little bit sitting more on the neutral side of things. 
once again, it's really easy to break trust, especially as you've been building it. So as your dog is gaining that confidence, don't let there be a situation where your dog's like, oh, I fucking knew it. I knew I should have been afraid of that guy of Jerry across the street because Jerry's a shady character. Don't allow those things to happen. So maybe when you're having people come over, maybe you're allowing the interaction, the people being at home or being at your house, go on for about 10 to 15 minutes and then have some management techniques in place. So maybe you have a crate or another safe space that you can, okay, I'm going to go put Sully away for a little bit because I think he's had enough. And if this were to go on any longer, I think there might be a negative experience. Um, so you're always setting your dog up for success. You're having these moments of good management. Maybe you put him up, um, you're giving him a frozen bone or a frozen Kong to hang out with just to still have a good time being away from you. Um, but it's really good to manage those situations and not let things fester. Don't let things continue until you have a bad experience and then stop the training. Yeah, this reminds me of two things. One that you like, um, I deal a lot with puppies playing mm -hmm. and dogs playing and when to step in. Okay. And a lot of people are not sure, like, oh, are they too rough? Are they too rough? Oh, are they about mm -hmm. to fight? Are mm -hmm. they too rough? And, um, like, a pretty decent rule of thumb, I think, is you can never step in too early. Mm -hmm. If you stop them and they were going to be fine for another two minutes, it's better than being a couple seconds late where they are fighting. Right. And then it also reminds me of training sessions um, where even if, if you do accidentally let it go too far and they had a bad reaction or like if they were playing and they, a fight did break out or some other training scenario where, oh, oops, I mm -hmm. pushed you too far. Yeah. You want to re not, maybe not reset, but go back to a neutral or positive point before you end the session. Yeah. Don't be a greedy trainer and keep pushing, pushing, pushing until you get the, oops, that was as far as I could push you. And on a good note, or I pushed you, you a little bit. you do go too far and you're like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure they can handle this and they don't. Right. Or something unexpected happens. Right. And something, you know, and it goes poorly. Do something positive really quickly so yeah. it's not ending on a really bad note. That's a good point. So let me just reiterate with this thing. So I think yeah, fear... Yeah, trainer words. <laughs> no, I, those are all great. I think that fear, though, is a little bit more tricky to deal with. Oh, so right. if it's a situation where, and I've had this once before, where we met outside, it was better, we walked in together, I'm still tossing treats away from the dog, we're having a good positive experience, but the, and I'm not moving, I have not once gotten up to move around, but all of a sudden the dogs start to be like, hey, you shady bitch, I don't know about you anymore. <laughs> and at that I point, about you too. It, me, I, I don't blame you. So at that point I was like, go ahead and put her back on leash, let's go back outside to go for a quick walk. We came back in together, we repaired it, and then I was like, okay, go ahead and put her up for a little bit. Um, making sure that she's comfortable with that, right? Um, and so it, it was one of those weird things that I wasn't expecting for her to start having a negative reaction because I literally hadn't done anything different besides just sitting on the floor. Um, but she started to fester more. It, I think it was just a, a, a longer interaction of frustration led to her being more uneasy about everything. Um, so when you're going through these experiences, if you do start to have a negative reaction, like you said, try to reset. So go back outside, have a quick walk, whatever, and then come back in together, a couple more treats. Okay, now I'm going to put Fifi away, whatever. Um, but also as much as you, as much as you can, 
uh, you still don't want to hit that head of having a negative reaction to begin with. Yeah, always try to avoid it. Yeah, but if, if but it if happens, can happen. happen, I I push my clients sometimes a little bit too far too. Yeah, I we do a lot of plan trains here, and we'll do something out in daycare, and often there's like just something unexpected happen where we are trying to um, socialize a dog that tends to start tiffs with other dogs, mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, we've put up all of the dogs we know they are prone to start tiffs with Mm -hmm. um and then a different dog comes out of nowhere and barks at him and starts a a, an issue and we're like shit i never would have guessed that this dog would have come out of nowhere and barked at you but you want to like put the barking dog up um make sure that your dog that you're training makes one more good decision treat the hell out of it and then put her away yeah i always try to end on a good note yeah but do your best not to have that oops, yeah, me repair it moment. Yep. But it happens, especially in our reactive situations where we cannot fully control the triggers in our real life walk. Okay, so two more things that we've already talked about before, and I think that we can probably go through pretty quickly. Number one, how to instruct a stranger to pet your dog when your dog has now said, I think I'm going to be okay with that. Don't have the person bend over your dog. Have them squat down instead. Um, and as far as hand placement goes, instruct your friendly stranger to not pet over the head, but to instead reach their hand with palm upward. And if the dog makes a decision to, okay, I'll put my head in your hand, then to scratch underneath the chin or to scratch on chest. And I feel like that might be where a little bit of where the... I'm going to outreach my hand so this dog can smell the back of my hand thing came about, which is actually the wrong thing to do, right? So did you ever hear like, and this will probably be a myth buster later on, so I don't want to bust it too much, but if a dog's nervous, you should always just reach your hand out and let them sniff the back of your hand. Yeah. It's bullshit. Don't reach out for the dog. Right. Is the back of your hand and the, and the palm of your hand so different? Yeah. Okay. I think it's arbitrary. I think if anything... If I, if I wanted to pet under a dog's chin with the back of my hand, is that <laughs> the same as cutting with the palm of my hand? The biggest difference is let the dog make the initiation. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's a... I don't know if that's maybe where that stemmed from, but that one's a weird one. Okay, how to instruct strangers to toss treats. Like I said, the closest treat should go is at the dog's feet. Don't... The closest treat... The closest it should be to you. Correct. Sorry. Okay. The closest that the treat should be to the scary spider, because scary spider is tossing the treats, Yeah, should be at the dog's feet or further away. Yes, there's weird things. I tossed the cookie, it hit the dog's ankle, and then it rolled back at me, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the majority of it yes, should not I'm be coercion. Yes, I'm terrible at baseball, so I only made it halfway because I'm weak as hell. <laughs> and, I can't, and I can't throw that far. It's definitely a thing. You want the treats to be... A uh, non-stressful, non-confrontational, positive experience, and not confrontation. So don't breadcrumb your dog with treats to the scary spider, i.e. your guest. Okay. Cool. You should probably... Sh- sh- okay, how do, how do you feel about um, breadcrumbing your dog to other things? Uh, not to my favorite. get in a pool, to step onto a textured surface i think if you're dealing with the neutral stimulus if you've never seen a dog around a baby pool 
have zero idea how your dog's gonna do. Maybe we toss some treats into the pool, maybe we toss some treats around the pool, because I don't know how this is gonna go, so I'm just gonna set you up for success by creating a positive association with treats. Mm -hmm. But the second you start seeing a negative association with that pool, don't continue to breadcrumb your dog into the pool. Maybe we start to water down the trigger, because by that point it's a trigger. A trigger is something that triggers a negative emotion in your dog. Okay. Anytime you're dealing with a trigger, we need to find a way to water down the trigger to have success. How would you water down a baby, an empty baby pool or a textured surface? Maybe you start with something less textured. Maybe you start off with something that's not as big or as wide um, and kind of work your way up in the texture and the size of the different things. Um, there also might be a variety of different things of why your dog's afraid of the pool. Is it because it's dry? Is it because there's a step? Is it because there's a ton of water in it versus anything? Because there's a moth sitting in there. God damn it, I will run away from that bitch. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I will. Because moths are terrifying. Especially the ones with the fuzzy antennas. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Or the fuzzy <laughs> body. Well, they got the, I think that's what moths are. They got the are. fat body that's fuzzy. Like, I like I like fuzzy things, but <laughs> not when it comes with wings. And How do you feel about butterflies? I don't mind butterflies. What if they flew up your skirt? <laughs> then I might have a negative... Re- okay, here, here's what's going on. Oh, I, here we I, go again. I must have been in a sensitive fear period right. of my life, so I was extra sensitive to very specific stimuli that made me look like a fucking idiot in front of my classmates, which was my first big experience with a moth, and therefore, that was my... And then, and then in high school, though it was more of a private moment, it was more of like, oh, holy shit, I will run out of this car. I knew moths were bad. And I will... And this is proving it most likely die because i'm i will jump out of a moving vehicle for this moment um i was in a fear period maggie yeah sounds like it i was in a fear period my whole life has been a fear period (laughs) (laughs) no it was up until i got on meds meds are good (sighs) love them meds can be good let's go to the next topic all right (laughs) okay so those are all our tips. If uh, your dog is afraid of meeting people or afraid of meeting moths, or you're afraid of moths, I hope that this has been educational. Remember, we did not figure out how to solve the fear of moths. Um, it probably includes ice cream. And, I don't uh, know. It might. <laughs> treats. It might involve some dick. Psycho. <laughs> what? <laughs> Psycho, psycho, uh, oh, what is that called? Like hypnotism. Mm. Psycho something, something, something. Hypnotism. We haven't even talked about my fear of clowns. What? That one's even bigger. Yeah, but that's like everybody has a fear of clowns nowadays. I have a very specific story of my fear of clowns. Near it? Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> Should we save it for the next podcast and go on a tangent then? Nah, let's just do it right now. All right, cool. Okay. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Should we redo this because you said dick? Nah. Cool. Don't Why did you repeat it? Uh, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Other, I love ice cream, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's enough to, yeah, not, n- nothing, nothing, nothing of that's, nothing of that's good. Anyways. Oh, because sex is super strong. 
Right, right, right. But it's better than ice cream. But then I start associating my fear with super pleasurable things that will now start to ruin my pleasurable things, which is what happened with Sully with the steak and the clicker. Right. Okay. Yep. So don't ruin. Don't ruin stuff. Okay. Um. Quick. Quick episode or quick. Uh. Story about my clown fear. Um. Because there's. If you don't want to hear about this, this is the end of the episode. <laughs> All she's gonna say is uh rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. So if you if you're over this, end it now. Goodbye. Okay. Bye, mom. But if you <laughs> bye mom, but if you are interested, mom, I think you would want to know why I'm afraid of clowns, don't you? Okay. When I was in fifth grade. I had an aunt that was a clown. <laughs> Her name was uh, Granny Granny Hugabug. That's a cute name. She was yeah. She was a good clown. That's a good clown. She I... rode in a wheelchair. Oh, she was old. Did she ride in a wheelchair in real li- real life? Yeah, and as a clown. I feel like that might be scary for some kids. I think this clown fear thing became. A thing like over the the killer clown ten or less years ago. Yeah, remember when that was? Oh, I forgot all about that. All right, I drink the last of my wine. Here we go. Okay, I am in fifth grade. So this is before the mods. I would say pretty much around the same time. Okay, no, you're slightly right before. You're right. You're right. You're right. The reason I recall this is because in the fifth grade, I was in choir, and I had my very first boyfriend, shout out to Chris, um, who this day and age, I don't know, is straight or not. (laughs) Oh, I have boyfriends like that. Yeah. Um, But my family was very close to his family, and his little sister had a birthday party. So they was at As their house. Little sisters do. Little sisters do. So I've had I've had some clown experiences, right? Like I've had a uh, clown Mimi was at my birthday party, and she was mwah, she's creme de la creme, phenomenal, like amazing. I don't know what this jackass's name was. So here we are. I'm also still pretty ugly, pretty frizzy, right, right, poor eyes, right, because it's before I got cute in high school. Still waiting <laughs> for myself. You're. Beautiful. You're too much. That's why I pay big bucks. Um, For my plastic surgery. (laughs) No, to keep me feeling good about myself. Oh. (laughs) Um, So they have a birthday party for his little sister at their house, and they hired this clown. And I'm sitting there with my friend, and there's a whole bunch of us. We're sitting in the lawn, and this clown is doing his tricks, whatever. And he was like, let me show you this guillotine. So he pulls out a little guillotine. He sticks a carrot in the guillotine. He lets the guillotine go, and it slices the carrot in half, right? And then he puts his dick in it. No, no, no. That's too much. No. (laughs) That probably would have been a better ending to the story. What? (laughs) It was more intensity. Um, So then he asks for uh, a volunteer. And the friend that I'm sitting next to raises my hand on my behalf. So my hand is in the air because she picked me up by my elbow and picked my hand up in the yeah. air. Why are you slapping yourself? Why are you raising your own hand? I'm doing my best. So, of course, he calls on me. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, she she raised my hand. I, I, don't, I don't really want to. She's like, no, you raised your hand. You come up. So, okay. No, me. Like, I don't fucking know what this guy wants me to do. So I walk up the road of the sea of children. And I go to this man 
with his guillotine. And he asks me to put my hand in the guillotine Mm -hmm. where I just watched this carrot be sliced. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I am on... I'm pretty nervous. I'm pretty scared. And I start to tell him, oh, like, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. I, she raised my hand. I didn't really volunteer. I, I don't really want to do this. And he grabs me by my elbow and he says, you raised your hand. I called on you. You put your hand in the guillotine. Okay. So he grabbed my other arm and stuck my hand through the guillotine. I still have two hands. And then chopped your goddamn hand off. I still have two hands, don't get me wrong. But at this point, I was on the verge of tears. I was crying. I turned my head away. I have zero idea of what actually happened. Did he actually do the thing? I have zero idea. Was there some sort of special magic button? I have no idea because I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. This man forced me to put my hand somewhere where I him to. God, this is the man touching you all over again. This is weird. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Anyways, so... That's how that went, and that's why now I am afraid of clowns. Are you happy that I told you that story? I regret this whole segment. <laughs> I begged you to make a closing segment, and now I regret all of it. You should. This was my best, best episode yet until this segment. <laughs> at least the shit show happened at the end of the. <laughs> yeah, at least I told everybody to click away before we got here. So if you made it this far... You now know a little bit more about me as a person and why I'm afraid of mobs and clowns. And you know I'm disappointed in us all. (laughs) So have a good night. (laughs) Bye. As always, the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on all of our socials. We're on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at PupPupAndAwaySA. Feel free to leave feedback or ask any questions about this topic or any desired future topics by DMing us on Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Share us with a friend. uh, And if you're ever so inclined, please feel free to donate. Nothing reinforces me more than money besides food, and that might be why I get along so well with dogs. (laughs) I hope to see you guys soon.